it's it's a lot of fun. Listen, it's, it's you know if you're in if you're a football player, you want to play in the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. But if you do the kind of thing that I do, you want to write the Oscars because right. it's the Super Bowl. It's the biggest one. Tokyo tonight. What's going on, man? All right. Well, I was the center square after Whoopi left. Before then, I was uh, to the left of Whoopi, if that's, that's possible. That's right. I do remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember she was center <laughs> so, square for a while. And you... I did, I've done 25 Oscar shows, uh, according to my accountant, but I was a head writer for 14 of them. Head writer for 14. That's that what out. it was. 14. Yeah, okay. I got you. Wow. And it has, it's plunged to shit since I left. There's no Totally. Question. It really has. It's complete and total. You know what? You know what? Here will be the Nadir. It will be. <laughs> the worst of my hair do it'll be it's just it'll be, <laughs> i feel like you look great um i love the red i love the glasses by the way they're yeah, so cool they're red glasses they're like red vines you can kind of chew them in the movies but oh, they make man. they make a pale face pop so. <laughs> <laughs> we can promote that on this show we can get them a sponsor you gotta do, what you gotta do. <laughs> yeah um that's so great the uh the thing about the oscars man too i feel like and this goes because i'm biased because i'm a comedian but there aren't any more comedians running around doing shit at the Oscars. There's no, but you know what I mean? Like there used well, to this be, it's going to be nothing, but I know Amy Schumer. Yeah. Who's hilarious. And Wanda Sykes, who's hysterical. I can't and Regina Hall. I don't know what that, that was the mystery booking, I hope, but I gather, yeah. I gather she's opening the show. Yeah. And, uh, and as it wears on, it will go to, uh, to, to actual funny people. I know. And uh, each one only has to do an hour. So, Oh, and, nice. I mean, they only have to host for an hour. They're they're only speaking for a few minutes, or right? But I think <laughs> oh, shit, they're doing a new set. I don't know if they're going to open them both. I don't know what they're going to do, but right. Uh, I generally find out uh, people start calling me this uh, next week uh, uh, and saying, uh, "Help, <laughs> help! I don't like what they've written. Please help." So nice. Uh, I'll know more then. Do you do you miss it? Do you miss the whole the whole process? Sure. Oh, it's it's fabulous, Ballyhoo, all the hoopla, and I actually live around the corner now, so uh-huh. I could kind of stroll over and you know, not even have to worry about parking. <laughs> so uh, and and also I could stagger home and not worry about driving. But that's the key. Uh, but that it's um, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. Listen, it's, it's you know, if you're in if you're a football player, you want to play in the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. But if you do the kind of thing that I do, you want to write the Oscars because right. it's the Super Bowl. It's the biggest one. Right. Even last year where fewer people watched it than watched the national dog show. Oh, my God. I know. Last year was brutal. We can I rock, tried to back that up to, uh, you know, Trump virus. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I read um, you were there with Steve Martin was there, right? When he was hosting yes. the first time. I had heard that you gave him uh, one of the funniest uh, off the cuff lines of the night. Um and it was, uh, was it after Michael Moore got escorted off stage? And Steve, oh, yeah. It, uh, it Steve... was, uh, yeah. Well, they were booing him. The, uh, right. The, uh, the, the, uh, some of the stagehands were mm-hmm. booing him because of, I think we had uh, gone into Iraq or something and he criticized Bush a lot. Yeah. And uh, um, and so uh, we had a, a, when 
we had a huddled conversation backstage because there was a commercial after his award. Mm-hmm. And it was not just me. It was Rita Rudner and Dave Barry and, and John Max. And we were, uh, uh, we just were, were throwing lines at each other. And Steve came out afterwards and said, it's so nice. The stagehands are helping Michael Moore into the trunk of his car. <laughs> it was so good. It was so it was great. Good. It was, was just perfect. I, those are my favorite things. You know, when stuff happens uh, on the Tony Awards, which you, you, you may have heard of, which, I mean, <laughs> but it's, you know, Broadway. Uh, right. uh, and I wrote it eight or nine times. And uh, I wrote it one year, Hugh Jackman hosted. Mm, and, it was great. Um, God, look at me. I'm, it's getting dark here. Hello. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, so I, uh, Carol Channing was on the show. We wanted to... We decided to have the brilliant stroke. We had Carol Channing mm. uh, and LL Cool J presenting together. Wow. And that's because LL Cool J is a CBS network star, NCIS Los Angeles. Right. And CBS wanted their television stars. Even if they had no connection with Broadway, they wanted them on the show. Okay. So we put him with Carol Channing. And um, I wrote something. I wrote a rap for the two of them to do. Mm-hmm. Which he thought was hysterical, and she said, oh, "Well, I can't do that." And uh, and <laughs> she showed up at rehearsal, and she she decided she would do it. She showed up at rehearsal, and um, she couldn't see the monitor, uh, the you know the the teleprompter, and she was at the time wearing these huge thick glasses, mm-hmm. and she came into the rehearsal with these glasses and all of this bling, and I said, "You look like a, a hip hopper. I mean, wear all this, right?" Tonight. And it'll, and read it, you know, mm-hmm. and it'll be hysterical. And she did, and uh, it was it was hysterical. It really brought the house down. And then there was a commercial, and Hugh Jackman came out afterwards and said, "This just in: Carol Channing has been arrested in a drive-by shooting." <laughs> That's genius. And you know, I got flack from that. People saying, "Well, all rappers aren't criminals," you know, that kind of like. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> I know. It's just a fucking joke. A, a real, it's a joke. And you know, enough of them have been involved in drive-by shooting. Right, right, right. Yeah. It. Do you remember a particular joke other than the rapper one where you guys got flack for? Maybe like a host took a little bit of heat? Oh, a million things. Um, uh, we uh, Whoopi did a fart joke and uh, that you know, they raked her over the coals for that. Oh, my God. Um, even Billy Crystal. I mean, we, we had a joke. Uh, we had a producer who loved themes. And the theme for, of the show that year was women in film. Mm-hmm. And there was a terrific clip package of uh, incredibly emotional scenes of women in film. And the audience was crying when we came out of it. And Billy had to follow that. And uh, uh, one, one of the things he said is amazing that, that there was um, uh, that shows you so many great Parts that women of women in film, and of course, the biggest part this year that was shown was Sharon Stone in Basic Instinct. Oh yeah, and of course it was <laughs> not because it wasn't funny. I mean, right. people have been making Sharon Stone crossing her legs jokes all year, but uh, it followed this emotional uh, film clip with right. know, all of these great brought, uh, Hollywood women uh, doing these these big scenes. So yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, so we got a lot. You know, but every year, I'll tell you that the the first year I, did, I, I one year there was uh, a producer who had an a, a, uh, in his office. Mm-hmm. He had framed on either side of his desk the review of the from the New York Times saying this show is brilliant, and the review from the L.A. Times saying people who did this should be shot. <laughs> and and it was the same show. 
Right. And he how he keeps hanging there to remind himself that you can't win. Right. Yeah, you that's just great. Can't win. So. Yeah, there was a there was something similar too when John Stewart had hosted. I remember they did this really impassioned, great like it was a great clip montage piece of like just Hollywood dealing with tough issues. And mostly it was about racism. And at the end of yeah. it, John Stewart goes and racism was never a problem again. And it got, <laughs> yeah, it got a great laugh and it was a good thing. And then like, right. I think Clooney and like a couple other people came on after and it was like, actually, you know, he was joking, but you know, uh, we really have yeah. uh, uh, been on the forefront of dealing with these. <laughs> it's like, guy, let it go, man. It was just a joke. It was just a joke. Yeah, exactly. that's crazy. How quickly, like when you were when you were in the heat of it and you were writing all that kind of stuff, were you watching the movies in anticipation and already writing it, or what did did you like it to be fresh? The the whole entire build up leading to to writing the no, I, the I go to the movies like everybody else or yeah. like everybody else used to. <laughs> uh, I mean, I love the movies and I follow them and I I work on them and mm. uh, so uh, you know as it. As it narrows down, you begin, I mean, if you're in that job, you start looking at movies that you might not have watched uh, otherwise because yeah. you haven't heard about them. I'm writing the Producers Guild Awards, which is not televised. It'll happen this Saturday, but it's a big deal. Everybody shows up because it's part of the campaign trail to the, the run up to the Oscars. Right. And, uh, you know, there are these events and Part of the reason, I don't know if you've been following the whole Jane Campion, Sam Elliott thing. Oh, but yeah. Anytime Jane Campion opens her mouth now, they're on her yep. because she's very candid. And she has to apologize because she wants to win the Oscar for Best Director. Yeah. And she wants her picture to win. And she doesn't want people not to vote for her because she said something stupid about Serena Williams. Right. Yeah. You know, so um, it was so uh, random that they attacked her for that because it clearly is not who she, you know what I mean? It was just, it was just brutal. You know, it's, it is kind of crazy because they're 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 forgetting. First, in the in the moment, she had that thought, and it was not about who's black and who's white. It was right. about we are women, right. and and it didn't occur to her that you know, they played men. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what she was talking about was we had to fight the establishment, which is composed of men, right? And uh, um, she, she, and. I had that, you know, literally, and and if you're an athlete, you don't have to do that that much. I mean, you do, but it's a different kind of thing because you are an exceptional talent and right. uh, and uh, you know valued for it. But it's complicated. However, what right. she said was about women, about women and men, and it was uh, taken out of kind of how could she ignore the fact that they are black and they had not the struggle. She was on stage getting an award for Christ's sake. Give her a break. <laughs> yeah, they're playing her off like Jesus Christ. You know. I mean, come on. Yeah. It's right. nuts. But, I mean, you know, we're, we live in the 24-hour clickbait news cycle. Right. And you see anything you can seize on. You know, it's that uh, there's a, a Sarah, Sarah Sherman, who's the new girl on SNL, oh, yeah. has, has a character where she does that, where she sits with, uh, with Colin Jost, and right. anything he says suddenly becomes a, a Twitter clickbait that she makes up on the spot. Right, right. And it's right. totally wrong and a misrepresentation, but it goes out. And that's exactly what happens in the world now. Yeah. And the, and the thing is, too, is I, I remember, you know, uh, the Sam Elliott thing that was on Mark Maron. I, I listened to the episode. I like Sam Elliott a lot. Do you think he had a problem with specifically gay culture or do you Absolutely. think? Absolutely. I think you do. Hit it. She said he managed to get the trifecta. He was misogynistic, xenophobic and homophobic all at the same time. All at the same time. He, yeah, he criticized was... him for making the picture in New Zealand. So I guess Did he, he never, really? I guess he never saw a Sergio Leone picture. Right. All or, of which was shot in Italy. 
Yeah. Or he knows, he knows Star Wars wasn't actually shot in space, right? Yeah, I mean, it's fucking, what he said was just idiotic. And and as she said later, the, 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 the West is a mythic place, and there's room for everybody in it. I don't happen to dig Westerns myself, no. but he is, she's correct. And I think what actually what he was responding to was, he really believes in all of that horseshit about the Old West. <laughs> he believes yeah. in all that stuff that John Ford made 80 years ago, mm-hmm. like it was true. Even when John Ford made it, it wasn't true. Yeah. And John Ford would have been, would have told you that if you had you know, could get him to take a cigar out of his mouth and talk to you. Right. Uh, but he acts like he's a real I just thought it was, and he, I, I met him, he made a picture with Whoopi about uh, my God, almost forty years ago now, right. and uh, and I and I was hanging around there, and it's just not the guy that I knew. I mean, not the guy that I met, and uh, I didn't know him well, but mm-hmm. and I haven't really seen him since then. But mm-hmm. so something happened to Sam. Yeah, it was weird. It was a weird, weird tirade that he kind of went on. And by the way, the film was fucking awesome. I watched it. I thought it was great. It was bleak. But that's what it was oh, supposed to know, be. It is. I, I joke about it. it's my uh, as teenage psychopath movies go. It's so much. <laughs> it's so much better than Dear Evan Hansen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's been yeah. A teenage psychopath. So uh, um, it gave me a little good son kick, vibes. It does, the problem with the power of the dog it doesn't kick in until the third act. But the right. third act is really powerful, and it, it you suddenly everything adds up. Yeah, yeah. You understand what's actually going on. I mean, a lot of people have said, oh, it's about toxic masculinity. And yeah, it is all of those things. Yeah. But, uh, you know, at, at heart, it's a revenge picture about a, a teenage psychopath. Yeah, he's a fucking cold blooded. I mean, that was nuts. I didn't see that coming. That was, I, I'm usually pretty good at picking that shit out. And I did not, I mean, we, I mean, spoiler well, yeah, alert, everybody, well, but you have to look closely and, and maybe know a little bit about, about, you know, when kids uh, are dissecting animals uh, on their own, not with oh, teeth, yeah. you know, I mean, that's, that's kind of always been a clue. That's true, you yeah. Know, cruelty to animals has always been a clue uh, about, about how kids are going to turn out later. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. He did dissect that frog you know, or something. Or... Who set fire to the cat. The bunny. You know? Yeah, all of that stuff. I mean, all those kids, we all knew those kids when we were little, and uh, and we they haven't turned out well. This is how far removed I, I am from... They may hold high office, but uh, they, they they haven't turned out well. Yeah. This is how far removed I am from, like, Westerns and shit like that, though. I just thought that's what kids did back then. I was like, man, that's fucked up. <laughs> no, sure. I, didn't even, I didn't even make the connection that he was a psycho. Yeah, he, also I was like, made, he also made paper flower arrangements. Yeah, that's true, too. You're right. It was a balance. It was nice. Yeah. Give and take. Um, do you remember, was was writing always your passion when you were a kid? Was that something that you always wanted to do or did you have other interests? No, acting. Performing was what I wanted. I was a child actor, but I was never a child star. Mm-hmm. Or we'd be having this conversation in rehab. <laughs> <laughs> they don't do well either most of the time. And uh, and I, 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 got, I fell into writing as a fallback because uh, I wasn't getting cast because I was... I was heavy. I had a deep voice, and I looked much older than I was. And so I was—I was auditioning against authentic people who were the right age for things. Right. So I, I started writing about all of that, and my parents encouraged me to to, to write because they said, you know, newspapers—they'll never go out of style. Who knew? <laughs> Did they? Were they cool with you in the when you wanted to act and stuff like that? Did yeah. They encourage you my with mother that? was 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 stage struck, and uh, mm. she married my father when she was young, and. Uh, uh, she did a lot of shows, a lot of charity benefits and stuff. 
but she, uh, she, she wasn't a stage mother. She wasn't like living her dream through me. It wasn't gypsy, you know. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, she, uh, she, they both saw that I was happy doing this, uh, dancing around and making faces, and they, so they encouraged that because I happier. I was happier then. I wasn't around kids who were bullying me because I couldn't, you know, I couldn't even handle right field. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. where, they, where they always put the kid who can't do anything. Put him in right field. Nothing ever get hit. Then <laughs> one one ball comes out there and you screw it up and that's it. Exactly. You just start sweating immediately. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The one ball that comes your way. Right. So uh, uh, so they encouraged it. And, and of course, I'm glad they did. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then also, I mean, you know, having your parents back you gives you a little bit more freedom. I feel like, you know, like you're like, oh, cool. All right. The authority figures think I've got something. So I'm going to go out there exactly. and do it. Yeah. 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 I, I, of course, but I had to find other things to rebel against. Right. <laughs> so my mother, who was kind of a, a obsessive compulsive control freak about dressing and all that. Okay. And I was always dressed up, you know, and that's so why I, I rebelled against that. Nice. And hence the T-shirts and every all of that stuff. It was right. all it bubbled up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was my rebellion. Was it, uh, you know, I mean, you were doing the acting thing and stuff and then you started getting into writing. But did you have regular I mean, did you have to have regular jobs or was it just like, I'm just going to. No, I, I, well, I was lucky. I was uh, I, I went to college or I went to the Ohio State University and I, mm -hmm. I was on the, the Lantern, the school paper. And I got an internship after that at, on the Chicago Tribune. Nice. Uh, I mean, I got two. A couple, I wound up on the Chicago Tribune, and I was there for five years. And when uh, when I was in Chicago, I met Bette Midler and started writing for her. And she happened, wow. and that was the beginning of it all. But my parents had always, uh, when when I was around in the summer, uh, get wanted me to have like the experience of day jobs. I worked on an assembly line. For I was I was well I tried to you know do performance jobs I was uh, a I was Ronald McDonald for a while uh, at oh uh, wow uh, yeah and uh, and I worked uh, uh, <laughs> I worked on the assembly line packing vaginal cream <laughs> which was probably the first and last time I came into contact with that particular <laughs> product. <laughs> and, and it was it was heady stuff, I'll tell you. Yeah, but you know, I mean, even a few weeks of doing that, you learn, you know, what that life is like. Sure. And sure. but I always had, uh, I was lucky enough to be, get jobs in my in the field I loved, so it was, uh, uh, you know, I didn't have to, I didn't have to wait tables. Nice. That's one of um, one of our uh, viewers actually just asked, how how did you just come across meeting Bette Midler? Like, how did that come about? <laughs> Uh, well, I was uh, writing for the Chicago Tribune, which is the big newspaper in Chicago, and she was on Broadway in Fiddler on the Roof playing one of the daughters. And uh, she, uh, on her vacation, her manager got her a booking uh, in a nightclub in Chicago called Mr. Kelly's, which was a very famous club at the time where mm -hmm. a lot of people had started out. And um, I happened, I knew her manager was a guy who ran the improv nightclub, and he managed another friend of mine, Freddie Prinz, senior. Ah, nice. And uh, Freddie had come to Chicago, and we'd, we'd gotten friendly, and I'd written about him, and he played a few times, and then he got a TV series and went to Hollywood. Uh, and so he called me and said, would you write about, if you like her, write about her the way you wrote about Freddie. So I said, okay, fine, great. And right. I went to see her, and she knocked me out. You know, she came out, uh, this was like 1970, and she came out uh, in... Uh, 
a capri pants and uh, I mean, I mean, a, yeah, capri pants and a belt and a blouse open to the waist and no bra, which, <laughs> uh, which uh, she said was a, a feminist statement. And mm. I said, that in your case, dear, it's a terrorist act. <laughs> and, you know, and her opening number was shaboom, 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 flying back and forth, and uh, all this hair and a gardenia in her hair, and she was, she was just the funniest and m- emotional singer I'd, uh, I'd seen ever. I mean, I, I immediately said, "Well, I, you know, I want to write for you," and uh, I wrote, her, I wrote an interview with her, and she liked it, so I began writing jokes for her, and that nice. was. Fifty years ago. <laughs> so the interview is what got it was what sparked the writing partnership. Writing the interview, yes, exactly. That got oh, that's that. really cool. Well, said, I mean, yeah, and you're a funny writer. I said you're funny. You should talk more. And she said, "You got any lines?" And oh, that, nice. Was most of it like? Do you think most of it was basically like that back then? Because I feel like now it's very structured. It's like you know, if you want to write for somebody, they're like, "Here's a packet. Let me see what you can do," and they set well, it up it in a way. On, it, not if you get them early enough, right? I mean, this was. Nobody was writing for her. I mean, her hairdresser, who was a very funny guy named Bill Hennessy, was writing for her. Okay. And, and in fact, Bud Friedman, who was her manager, the guy who ran the improv, yep. said to her, um, she, she said, you know, now that you're getting successful, you're going to have a lot of people who are going to want to write for you. And he said, but I was wrong, really. It was only hairdressers. <laughs> <laughs> when, at that point, when you're getting to write for somebody like Bed Midler and it's going really well, are you, and I'm sure you're hanging out in the comedy scene and, you know, like you said, you knew Bud Friedman and all this stuff. Well, were you getting bombarded by people who were like, can you also write jokes uh, for me? Not bombarded, but I also, my, uh, it's part of my job at the trip. I was interviewing people as they came through town and mm-hmm. I met people and they 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 had heard of who of what of me yeah so i, I but i became friendly with lily tomlin and nice. richard fryer and george carlin and david steinberg the comedian oh, and nice. i began writing joan rivers i began writing for all of them and eventually mm. after five years uh i i got an offer to uh to come uh, one of the acts that i was writing for uh bet had a dresser whose brother had started a band a group called the manhattan transfer and the oh, yeah. transfer, they did a lot of nostalgic stuff, and then they later became a jazz act. But they mm. got a TV series. And uh, I came out to L.A. To, to, on a leave of absence to write the TV series. And uh, I was already writing for Sonny and Cher, which, and, who had broken up. And Cher was, uh, <laughs> it was Sonny. I'd written for Sonny and Cher, Sonny without Cher. Sonny and Cher were back together. We don't talk, but we're doing a joke. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, just the whole, so I was out here, and, and I, uh, we did the transfer show. It was a critical success. Nobody watched it, but uh, I just said that's it. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm. Beth says, "Yeah, you had your bags packed the day I met you," <laughs> and I moved out here, and that was that. Wow, was it? Uh, you know, I mean, you're doing all those writing and stuff like that for those people. But did you ever feel like because you knew you wanted to be a performer back in the day? Did you ever feel like, oh, I'm saving this one for me, or were you totally in work mode? Like, no, I was always in work mode, and, and I, you know, I'm not a club uh, club comic. I never got up at the store or the Laugh Factory or any of that. To, right. I would I would perform at uh, I'd do benefits. I'd MC benefits, and after a while, that kind of grew into my own my own act. Okay, that's and cool. once I was on Hollywood Squares, there was actually demand for that act. I mean, right. people wanted to so I had I had the the money motivation. Yeah, of course. And what was the? I mean, transition from well, actually, wait a minute, because we're gonna get too far ahead. Because I want to talk about Hollywood Squares, but I'm still ta- I want to yeah. talk to you more about in the beginning and stuff. So you're doing all that kind of writing for all these people, and did it? Was it back then where it was like less known that comedians had writers for them? You know what I mean? Was it? Did you? Did that? 
kind of I think it was it always well, I think it was always known. I don't think anybody ever, you know, thought about it. I mean, mm-hmm. Bob Hope made a million jokes about his writers on all that's his, true. Or like travel writers and and Carson and uh, you know all the people who did late night shows made jokes about their writers, mm-hmm. and uh, so it was it was pretty well known. That, but then but, at some uh, point, wasn't wasn't it like stand ups were like very you know I mean we are, we still pride ourselves in writing our own material today, but that was back in the day when like Freddie Prinze and all those people were around. That was when they really started writing about themselves and their own experiences and yes, had less. It was, yeah, it was different. It was different. Yeah. Uh, they, uh, their initial material was always about themselves and what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And what happens is when you start out, nobody wants to, you have plenty of time to write. And when you hit, you don't have any time left to write because you're very busy being a part of the star, the star making machinery, Johnny Mitchell. Right. Paul. And, <laughs> and um, once you're in there and you are, uh, you are, you're a brand of your own, uh, you need collaborators. That's when you begin taking on collaborators because you have to keep feeding the monster. Yeah, uh, you can't keep doing the same stuff. The the of course the great news of the the 80s was that you could monetize all this. You could sell your act and your persona to television as a sitcom. Right. So you could be Jerry Seinfeld or Roseanne Barr or Ray Romano or you know any of those people who turned their acts into the gold. Yeah. <laughs> Big time gold. And of course, that encouraged every lousy comedian in the world and people who were not funny it, it to go on to the local yuck yucks in the strip mall in Indianapolis yeah. and do on, on open mic night and do their thing because you could get rich. Yeah. And of course, the, the people who had been running music clubs all over the country said, what are we not going to size out with all these? druggies with their roadies and this stuff you know for that kind of money we can get one comic who will fill the place yeah so they converted to comedy clubs yeah and eventually the craze subsided you know it was a it was a sort of a tsunami and then it, a, a lot of places couldn't make a go of it it went away uh, yeah not that's that all i heard of comedians but uh they, you know they people wanted stars and they wanted names and uh and a lot of places and just didn't want to deal with it yeah. And also once the ones got, you know, sitcoms and stuff, they never came back to the clubs. They were like, they, were really. fun. they would come into work stuff out. Right. Know? They yeah. would show yeah. up as surprises. But no, I mean, if you're, you know, uh, um, uh, Dana, uh, not Dana Carvey. But, Dana Gold? Uh, no, the big rock and roll comic who. Uh, oh, Dana Dane Cook. Cook. Dane, Cook. Dane Cook or Andrew Dice Clay and you can play Madison Square Garden. Yeah. Yeah. Why are you going to go back to Zanies? Right. Which love Zanies, by the way. I'm still there. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to say. Um, no, that's cool though. I think I I I've written for a couple of comedians and stuff like that. But as a as a comedian, I feel like it was always harder because I totally would do that thing where I'd be like, "This is a great fucking joke," and that one is for me. Uh, <laughs> like well, you know, the other thing is not everybody is adaptable. I mean, a lot of people write for themselves because they know their voice, but they're yeah. not particularly interested in learning anybody else's voice. Was there anybody yeah. that you wanted to write for that you didn't get to? Oh, uh, I, I don't know. I love Eddie Izzard and oh, uh, yeah. genius. Um, but he's he's you know so weird. I'm not sure you know if he's now bi- non binary and. Oh he's, yeah, he, I mean he's and he's a great actor and but it I mean we know each other but the, but it never the situation never presented itself but right 
Uh, I don't know. I, uh, there probably are, but I never thought about it that way. I never. I try not to think of the, you know the negative terms like, oh, gee, I missed that train. Right. That's yeah. healthy, though. I mean, most people don't have that. I attitude. think so, but you know, I also weigh two hundred and thirty-two pounds. So how healthy can it be? <laughs> mentally, very, very <laughs> yeah. fit. Yeah. In this interest industry, it's the mental health that we're all oh, worried I about. I see. Thank you. Yeah. Good. No. Yeah. I'm glad you made that delineation. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, I could be top of a hut. It's perfect. They're doing a whole new Star Wars Wonderland, thing. and they're looking for Humpty Dumpty. I am a. <laughs> oh my god! Well, were you? Was that always in the plan, though? When you were doing like Hollywood Square and stuff like that, where you were like, "I'm going to uh, start to ease into being." more performer more on camera and i'm already yeah, it wasn't a jokes. plan i mean it, it truly wasn't i've been i've been doing it for 20 years and they came to me and they said we want you to be the head writer they're bringing back hollywood squares for the third iteration and we want the show to be more of a comedy show than the game show and i said great and wow. then they got whoopies of center square and she said i think the land should host the show and they said oh my god she's lost her mind but <laughs> it, they didn't want to piss her off so early in the game so they tested me and I got to do a whole test. And this is for the win, Kevin. And <laughs> so, uh, so instead, they uh, they put me in a square, thinking oh, I would game her. But we had a great time. Yeah. And once that happened, you know, once you're on television every night, you know, you begin getting all kinds of offers to, you know, to to do things. So uh, I I got a book, and uh, and they came to me and they asked me to audition uh, for to hairspray to follow Harvey Firestein. I saw you in that. Uh, where? Thank you. Where uh, when you I that? when I was a kid, we I got to go on um a probably class New York. Trip. Yeah, New York. Yeah, uh, yeah. class. I did trip. it for a year on Broadway. Yeah, yeah. I did we, a tour around the country with it for a year, and then did yeah. it a year on Broadway. Um, but well, yeah, I had no, to I get save to... for it, so I had my own. My own well, thank trip. you. I just want to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but that's really cool. Play, then you'll have to shave too. They, I know. they said they'll never buy. They'll buy it's a man, but they won't buy. It's a woman uh, with hormone problems. <laughs> <laughs> now it's, anything it's a little too John Waters, even for hairspray. <laughs> <laughs> you know how I naive I was when I was watching Hollywood Squares is before I was introduced to who you were and what you did. I thought that all the comedians were like rapid fire off the top of their head. I was like, this is genius. Well, a lot of the times they are. It's a combination of stuff. I mean, you give them stuff so they have something. Mm hmm. Uh, or they come up with something. It depends on who they are and in, in the moment. Right. Uh, we always gave people who we thought were funny and could handle a joke jokes. And, and other people, uh, we, you know, just tried to make them charming. And uh, But some of the great, some of the best stuff was people who were not, you know, nor normally known as funny. And, uh, um, and it, it kind of, you know, worked out, worked out that way. Right. Just, yeah. I mean, little Richard came in. And uh, yeah, we we would give them we would give them the questions they were going to have. We wouldn't give them the answers, mm -hmm. and we told the contestants they don't know the answers because uh, they they uh, the contestants would just they would agree with them on everything, and there'd be no game. So, uh, and this was fortunately this was before the uh, internet, uh, smartphones, and so they couldn't like you know Google everything. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, they they just kind of we'd give them a bluff answer that sounded like it could be right but wasn't. The little Richard came in and the first thing uh, when well, we brief each of them, the first thing he said to me in the briefing was, "I don't know nothing." So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
so you know you'd have to tell not all you know we'd have to discuss with him what the question meant and all that and i said you know what any time they come to you, the first thing you say is, I don't know nothing. And that way, they can decide whether or not they want to go with you. You know, right. your life. But it, and also, it will get a laugh because they'll keep coming to you and it'll be kind of like a cat. And he loved that. And that was, it worked out great. That's awesome. He was hysterical. It was, yeah. it got funnier and funnier every time they went to him. Because no matter what the question was about, I don't know nothing. <laughs> and you know, little Richard, just, I mean, little Richard, the voice, the look, the whole thing was huge personality. Yeah. Oh yeah. my yeah. God. The best. I remember that one too. Was it better, like more fun writing for certain people? Cause I remember the one where uh, it was Whoopi was on Robin Williams was on and Billy was on. Yeah. We did comic relief. Yeah. That must've been, that was great. Yeah. And, and all, they were all comics. Everybody was so you didn't have to write a lot. I mean, because everybody, <laughs> I mean, we did, we gave everybody stuff yeah. that they could do with it, uh, what they wanted. And, uh, you know, it, it, I mean, it was, uh, they, they were in the, the middle, of course, Whoopi was center and Robin and Billy were on either side of it. Mm -hmm. So the contestants kept going to them yeah. because they wanted to, to, to relate to them. So, right. Yeah. That's but there were, there were a lot of funny people on those, on the, yeah. those weeks, that week. Yeah, you know, we well, shot we shot it all. Uh, we shot a week and a day, so we would do it on weekends. On Saturday and Sunday, we'd do five a day, and uh, we would have we'd shoot three in the morning and then have lunch and a lot of wine. And so the <laughs> uh, the uh, the last two shows, the Thursday and Friday shows, were very loose. Mm -hmm. Which the marketing people told us the, the audiences that watched on Thursday and Friday were very loose too, that they would oh. they would ask them and say which when do you generally watch and I say oh we love the shows later in the week because they're like tired of their week yeah and so yeah. They, they like looking at these people who were sort of semi-buzzed yeah <laughs> <laughs> me too to be quite honest <laughs> sure. uh yeah what you're doing i know you've done solo shows and stuff like that too uh and i feel like that's kind of stand-up-ish you know what i mean do you oh is it is i mean i call it sit down because <laughs> occasionally i do sit down but it's uh it's a lot of uh, it, stories, you know. Yeah, it's yeah. not joke, 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 and it's not prowling around, and it's not, uh, you know, what's wrong with a phone company? It's, it's not that kind of stuff. Or, you know, these yeah, yeah. Are, do, and, do you uh, know what's wrong with the phone company? <laughs> you know, those, so sad, those people, though. that's what they do, and it's I not. A, oh, my wife, you know, she thinks I fart in the sleep, and and it's not that, and it's not. Well, I dated this girl last week, and she had three toes. You know, it's not that. Right. I mean, yeah. it's it's. It's all stories about people they know and show business and, and you know, things like yeah. that. Do you think somebody like yeah. Paul Lynn could have a career in network TV today? Well, that's a very good question. I mean, he's, if we knew we were, he was talking, we were talking about him 40 years after he died, he would right. say, Oh no, you're not. <laughs> he, would he, he would just be, you know, stunned. But, uh, well, first of all, he could, he could, he, I mean, Part of it's so hard to say because part of his whole thing was that he was obviously a, a very bitter queen, <laughs> and today he wouldn't have that posture. It wouldn't right. make any sense. I mean, he could have a he could have a husband, yeah. So you know, or several. So um, <laughs> it's a whole world that doesn't exist anymore. That kind of uh, where the people on the inside who get him are roaring on the floor and people who don't get him he's just kind of funny and they and he he reminds them of you know some ants they have or something so yeah absolutely 
so it's a, it's a different uh, you know it's a different kind of thing. So I, I have no idea whether it would work in this in this universe. <laughs> yeah, it's a good way. I never thought of looking at it that way because it is a completely different time. Because people always look at it in the context of like, oh man, they were they were so edgy and ahead of their time then. You can't yeah. say a lot of people do that thing where like you can't say that anymore. But sometimes I feel like, what if you just did? Wait, what the what's the worst that could happen? Yeah, right. You know, yeah, if everybody yeah, just did it, you'll cancel. We'll cancel you, young man. Yeah. But I, I think that the, the the curve is coming back the other way. I think there's totally back to kind of a what I call woke madness, where you yeah. just say, wait a minute, everything is in context, and nobody's your enemy, and sit think for a moment. Yeah, uh, yeah, because they're, they're, everybody is jumping, and it's, it's there's a small, shrill m minority of people who are carrying on, and a lot of it is their own disaffection, mm -hmm. and uh, um, there is obviously something in what they say, but there is a balance to be maintained. It's not, you know, I mean, their approach is like uh, just a scorched, scorched earth policy, right? You know, it's That's crazy. Yeah, it it got into like a weird comedy got into a weird position where it became way more powerful than it should have been. Where like, you know, if you had if you did if you were really good at doing political comedy or satire or, or having that kind of commentary, and then it kind of bled over into politics because no one knew how to handle it, and you saw it affect change. I think then people realized they could market it that way, and now mm -hmm. everybody who was telling a joke had to be listened to and scrutinized you know, and yeah, right. overanalyzed because it was like, oh, this is this is a weapon for our side right. and we can use it to affect change. And really, most comedians are like, did I get a laugh? No. Yes. I know. I'm not gonna, you know, my favorite thing is when they say you must go through unconscious bias training. <laughs> now, the very term unconscious, but you can't fight that. Right. Because it's like, well, you're not conscious of it, but you're doing it anyway. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and look, I'm a member of several minorities. I'm Jewish. I'm fat. Uh, I'm gay. So, uh, you know, I mean, I understand when these things are said about my minorities. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, but when people say microaggressions, well, that could be anything. You know, yeah. if I fart while I'm with you, that's a microaggression. Yeah. And, you know, if we've been to the burrito truck, chances are I will fart when I'm with you. So <laughs> it's not a microaggression. It's just it's just it's biology. Right. <laughs> but it's very difficult to explain that to somebody who is just, you know, balled up with anger about everything. Right. And uh, they have gotten what they wanted and they are balled up with anger. Yeah. You know, I but I understand. I mean, I, I find myself now and again that when say, oh, she's a fat slob. I said, could she be a thin slob? <laughs> Isn't being a slob enough? Is yeah. Slob? <laughs> have to I go get the extra that. So, so there I am joining the shrill minority, but, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, you there know, you as long as... Here's the thing, though. At least you're being funny while you're doing it. When you're not being, yeah. you know, there you go. Uh, yes, exactly. Most of them really aren't terribly funny. Right, yeah. And it's like, oh, really? Did he just fucking say that? That's yeah. weird. But um, I, I think when you see someone like Louis C.K. coming back... Yeah. Uh, what that means is I think the world is acknowledging that he jerked off in front of a bunch of female comics who knew him. Yeah. <laughs> and it was almost like some kind of crazy ritual. It's not like, you know, it's not like, it's not like Bill Cosby. Right. You know? people, I mean, it's people not, don't know. People don't know yet, this though. And yet the cancellation is the same. It yeah. Is, yeah. Oh, totally. But people uh, don't know it was a ritual. That's actually how you raise the dead of some comedians. <laughs> yes <laughs> you do that enough you know you get back a buddy hackett you get back somebody you know somebody legendary um it is you know the other crazy thing is too is that 
the the conversation behind that was that he had just done it. I know this is weird to say, but like he'd just done it arbitrarily or on a whim. He was actually yeah. always asking for consent. Like, yeah, like the story, true. the crux of the story yeah. was right. he had asked. And then when they right. were like, no, he was like, great, I'll see you on Monday. You know what I mean? Like and, I get the context yeah. with like, you know, shouldn't have been doing it at the office or, right. you know, whatever, but it, it wasn't the funny. subway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. like, but, but even so it was like, like the, the narrative behind the whole thing in the media yeah. was like, he'll whip his dick out in well, front of you whenever yeah. you want. And it's like, the I media mean, goes. The media goes for whatever they know will get eyeballs. I mean, there's yeah. a story today. Diane Kruger, who's a, a lovely actress who I've worked with, put out a story about how she had to audition for Wolfgang Peterson uh, in Troy to play Troy, and then mm -hmm. she had to show up in costume and a bunch of stuff. And she felt demeaned and she felt uh, assaulted and all that. Now Brad Pitt was the star of the movie, so the headline in the trades is Diane Kruger claims she was assaulted during Brad Pitt's Troy movie. <laughs> <laughs> all of a sudden brad pitt has got this shit on him right yeah <laughs> you know exactly. i mean he's not the guy i mean yeah. and they feel they can do that well they feel they can do that because they do that pitt. yeah of course and they do that with and look at the eyeballs no one cares if diane kruger no. had trouble unless it's really bad trouble that she can and it with somebody bigger than diane kruger yeah but you know you can't nobody's interested in wolfgang peterson as right a, but Brad will get eyeballs. Yeah, and it makes it look yeah. like Brad stood by and watched. Or he was doing it, and then you have to get into the story to realize it's not about him at all. Right. He wasn't there. <laughs> yeah, and nobody's actually reading it. It's funny, they do that in politics, too, because I remember during the election, uh, I was watching, like, CNN or whatever the hell it was, and Bernie Sanders was in the lead. But, of course, you know, they didn't like Bernie Sanders. So on the bottom of the scroll, it just said, COVID-19 and Bernie Sanders can either be stopped yeah. <laughs> what the fuck kind of context mm -hmm. is that? Right. <laughs> but you know, but hey, when I was I was almost fired from the Chicago Tribune because there was a story about uh a guy who had been shot six times. Uh he you know, he'd been shot six times, he died, and uh, and that was the thing and I put the headline was I gave them was man shot five times and lives. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. It was that sixth one that did him. <laughs> Let's make this into a positive. Let's yeah. always go to the next. <laughs> oh my god! Did you get a lot of shit for that back in the day? Oh yeah, I got I all, yeah all kinds of things. We got uh, yes. <laughs> I used to <laughs> well. The, the Tribune was famous uh, for for typos and uh, things like that. I mean, they had. Uh, um, I, and I did not do these, but they were, you know, w w when you were at a paper where these things happened, like they had a headline said, uh, um, U.S. Marines beat off 5,000 Viet Cong today <laughs> <laughs> in hand-to-hand -hand combat. <laughs> that was the lead in the, on the story. In the oh, my God. That's uh, so how good. could you go wrong with it when you had a paper doing that kind of stuff? Right. That's hilarious. <laughs> Do you, do you think it's more like people are afraid to laugh at a joke today because they think it somehow identifies who they are as a person as opposed to maybe it's just funny? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And you feel it when you're up, when you're on stage and instead of getting a laugh that you would get, you get, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, oh, no, he didn't. Oh, yeah. no, he didn't. You know, uh, <laughs> it's just, no, it's just, you know what's fun? It's kind of funny to to write that way, though, sometimes. Like, I'll do the same thing where I'll, yeah. I'll be putting something together and I'll go, this is going to get an O right here. And then I can hit him with something else right after that. Yeah. And then you get to ride. Uh, exactly. 
Yeah. You know, but it's kind of like I always say, you do a joke about the Titanic and they go, oh, and I'll say, too soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Too soon is a great statement for almost anything. But uh, what yeah. do you, I think, I feel like I know the answer maybe, but what do you think as a comedy writer, though, is the antidote to that? Is it just pushing through and going like, fuck your ooh, these are the jokes. If you don't like it, get out. Uh, probably, yeah. I mean, just just ignore it. Just pushing through and say, oh, you know, what Joan Rivers is. Oh, grow up. I love. Yeah, what Joan Rivers. That was the great saver of all time. Grow up. Yeah, she, you know, she was fearless. Nothing bothered her. If right. she really felt, you know, if she really felt, if she did. I don't know. Uh, she, <laughs> if if she was doing a joke about something like about something a deaf person, she had some kind of a joke about the deaf person, and they would go, ooh, she would say, oh fuck you, my brother's deaf. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, she, she has no brother. Uh, right. Let's start with that. That's the best way to go. But it was, but they're not going to debate the thing with her. It's like, oh, right. So like that gives her, you know, license. Hard blanche. Yeah. Right. Exactly right. So um, that so is the way to go. I know you. Unless got the... they then stand up and say, "You stole that from Joan Rivers." <laughs> <He's dead. laughs> she said, "I could have it." You can't ask her. Right. Yeah. <laughs> she gave it exactly to me. Right. The last thing she said before the throat surgery. <laughs> <laughs> Give these to Bruce Valanche. Oh. That's right. Oh, Give that's... Bruce the death jokes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I feel like she would have loved that. That's hilarious. Oh, oh my God. You've got the Legends of LGBT comedy coming up. When is uh, that? Um... Yes, that's uh, uh, Saturday, April 16th in San Diego at Martini's Over Fourth, which is a great club. Mm -hmm. And it's me and Suzanne Westenhofer and Dana Goldberg, who are. Uh, uh, two, uh, they're two. They're fabulous comedians. They're, yes. They're, uh, you know, I'm kind of like the 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 testosterone wedge in between the two of them. <laughs> Although they're pretty bulky themselves, I'd like to say. But it's it's an, it's a nice trifecta. It's I mean, it'll be great fun. I love that club, and they're terrific. Uh, they're ter I've had great fun with both of them. Yeah. Well, how long have you been doing it? What the, the show overall? We haven't done this. This is the first that we're just doing this oh. for, as a one-off, just oh, to see, uh, you know, yeah, to wow. see how it works. I mean, it was it was uh, there. I the Martini's idea. Oh to, wow! Uh, and and so I thought, fabulous. Let's go. And among other things, we only have to each do half an hour. <laughs> oh my god! Isn't that the sweet spot? That's the best. Well, yeah, it is. I yeah. mean, you know, you also have to split the take, but. Uh, you know, but That's what can I tell you? Yeah, yeah. I have, well, you guys... I have my Donnie and Marie annuities. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. What was, I mean, I just, I don't know if you are up for talking about it. What was that kind of like? What was that experience like? Because they're not, they're not co comics, you know? No, they're not. It was very clean. Everything was very clean. And yeah. I had nothing to do but count uh, uh, the, um, the flashing strobe lights to make sure epileptics didn't go into a seizure. That was one of her jobs. And in fact, on the Osmond show, it was her only job because everything got sent to the elders in Salt Lake City. Okay. Because they're, they're very religious Mormons. And um, uh, so uh, it was very clean, and there were many, many, many things you couldn't do. But we had a good time anyway, partially because it was the 70s and we were mostly all baked. <laughs> and uh, and so, we, in, you know, I, I, we had fun. I didn't care. And I, tell you, I established myself with the, the, the family. I was at my desk uh, smoking and drinking a Bloody Mary and writing something. And uh, Mother Osmond, Olive, mm -hmm. who uh, 
they had 14 children, she and George. We wow. called George the Mount of Olives. And <laughs> Olive, Olive came in and she looked at me and she said, smoking, <laughs> drinking, are those hard spirits you're drinking? Your body is a temple. How can you treat your body that way? <laughs> and I looked at her and I said, mixing meat with milk, you heathen. <laughs> <laughs> and that was that. She realized I had my religious things and she had her religious things. Yeah. <laughs> and she wasn't going to tread on me because I was providing a service. So uh, uh, so we had a great detente the whole time. And they were kids. You know, the, uh, Marie turned 18 when we were doing it. And we kind of made her an adult, gave her a coming out ceremony. And uh, and Donnie was, uh, um, Donnie really wanted to escape from all of it back in those days. But, yeah. uh, you know, and, uh, and and he was successful with doing that, except that they were the big name, the, the flagship of, of the brand. Right. But it was tough, I mean, because they, they were great kids and they had grown up surrounded by religion and show business and work and oh, it was all one great big family thing mm -hmm. and uh, uh you know uh that would that would be tough i think and marie they didn't even want to have work because she's a girl and they didn't want right. to you know have girls working they wanted her to be a good mormon wife and uh and she rebelled and wow. so she's got tremendous tenacity they both do yeah so, but it was a lot of fun but it also was part because of the period it was the 70s you know and as i frequently say if you say you remember the 70s you weren't there <laughs> it, who was in your opinion do you think was the best at taking written material and making it their own and transforming it into you know well if um, i didn't say bet midler i'd be crazy but uh, right. you know I, i've worked with her for 50 years but robin williams was pretty skilled at that robin would get up every night and do stuff that was written and uh, embroider it immediately wow and 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 totally make it his and people kept saying oh he's so spontaneous and i would say yes he is the first time and but <laughs> his genius was he made it look like he was coming up with it on the spot because he was so fast and so physical right uh so he was uh, he was unique um but uh but you know with bed it's like well i i was writing in her voice and which is something that screenwriters and playwrights have to do they create a character and they have to write in that voice, but they, they get to call the character. When somebody comes in and says, uh, uh, write, write for me, you have to do homework and, and figure out who they are. Right. Because as a frequent comparison uh, made is with Bob Mackie, the great dress designer, is he would not put Cher in the same dress he would put Lizzo. They yeah. are two disparate body types. Right, right. But he has to know how to design for both of them. Yeah. And it's the same thing. You learn, you, you study people's strengths and uh, you write to them. And, right. uh, and if you're, if you're lucky, I, I, I seem to have a facility for it. You hear their voice yeah, and, uh, and you can write in their voice. And uh, I, I'm just, you know, it's a skill I have and I'm just delighted. It's, all, it's incredible. Yeah. It's really, it's really hard to do to write in somebody else's voice. It's fucking yeah. unbelievable. Have you ever had somebody that you were writing for that you're like, I just can't do it. I don't, I don't. Well, yeah, you know. um, yeah. I mean, usually it's singers who, uh, or, or, or people, or actors. When you, actors do award shows, mm. uh, they're they're great actors who don't have a stage persona. You know, like yeah. 
Johnny Depp and Keanu Reeves and who are big movie stars, but they are the characters that, uh, that they play. Nick Cage. I mean, there is there is no Nick Cage character. Uh, right. They have come up with them for talk shows like Johnny Depp finally realized that he needed a Johnny Depp character. And so he took equal parts, Jack Sparrow and Hunter Thompson and created that that persona that he has uh, when he's interviewed and on shows. Mm -hmm. Uh, but some of them don't have that. And so writing for them is difficult because uh, there's no there there. Yeah. yeah, you, know, yeah. you have to. And that, I mean, they could be great actors. I mean, partially that may be part of what makes them great actors is that they inhabit a character that's written for them. They just don't have one for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's probably, I mean, do you think that's why there's no good movies about stand-up comedy or stand-up comics? Because it's really hard when, like, you know, an actor does it. Well, part of the problem is that, for me, movies about stand-up comics are, the, the comics aren't generally very funny because it's right. not being written by people who are writing it for that. And the audiences are always responding hilariously, screaming, carrying on, and you're supposed to believe that, as opposed to when somebody comes out and sings and dances and they're great, you get why the audience is cheering. When somebody comes out and does some lame material, uh, yeah. and they go, what are they, why are they laughing? What is that all about? So right. that's part, part of the problem. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, but that also is a, a you know, I come from the inside. So yeah. it's difficult for me to watch those shows. I, I think that lay people have an easier time with that. With oh that. yeah. Oh, they totally do. I mean, like it's, there's a couple, I mean, there's one that's on now that's kind of popular and I'm not a, a huge, you know, I'm a fan of it in certain ways and then not in other ways, but I think the closest was um, funny people with Judd Apatow, except it was three hours too long. Like most Apatow yeah, well. shows. But like, but I think they got the some of the stand up kind of right because they really made them write their own material and work on it, and they had other comedians on set. But other than that, man, I've seen other ones, and they're not. They just they just don't right, land, yeah. and it makes it really weird when they're like, "Is that what you do?" And you're like, "No, no, that not, <laughs> yeah, that's not it at all. Not even really close." Um, what I do I, is funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but like, let me ask you this because I know in in the vaudeville days, showbiz was like a giant family. Um, yeah. Do you think it's still? technically that way today do you think there's still a, a familial aspect to it or not anymore oh uh, well a lot of it when it was on hold during covid so we'll see how it comes back but um it's yeah i think so i think that there's a there's when you actually work with people you know when you're in the trenches with people um you get to know them really well and uh uh it you know it's kind of it's kind of like being at war i've always said one of the reasons why why mash was so popular was because about a bunch of people who were in the trenches together yeah and, yeah. Uh, and once they leave them they have nothing in common really but their experience in the war and um it's kind of like that in show business so i yeah i think it, it's uh there's a certain kind of familiar thing and there are just fewer places where it's expressed i suppose i mean right. the best is uh the oscar luncheon which was held last week it's where all the nominees get together the hundred and something of them Wow. And um, and they are all uh, seated at tables, and it's all mixed. So you can be a sound editor, and you're sitting next to Meryl Streep, and on the other side of her is a documentary filmmaker, and so forth. And it goes on around the room. And then they all are called up one to, one by one for the class picture. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty fabulous because you actually get the sense of these professionals who are at the top of their game and who realize they are in a room full of like minded people yeah you're all just celebrating each other and yes you're pitted against each other in your categories but it doesn't seem to matter because you've you've made it 
in yeah. other words. So there's a great feeling of camaraderie. And, and of course, a lot of them know each other because yeah. it's a, a small business, uh, relatively. Yeah. So uh, they, they, you know, they all, it's, it's a great feeling. that There aren't too many uh, places where that can happen, where it's not. Right. You're not there like at a strike meeting of the Writers Guild. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> this agenda is pure celebration. So it's right. Fun. It's a shared experience. It's nice. Yeah, and the other right. thing, too, is like, you know, I mean, it's weird because in Hollywood now, everybody sees it from the outside where everybody has to comment on everybody else's personal life, their habits, where I feel like it, back then, you know, Cary Grant wasn't talking about, you know, uh, what Doris days. So, you know, and, and uh, nobody was being interviewed like, hey, what's with her doing this? And he had to comment and respond to it like. Now it's well, that, it was all studio controlled, and and uh, you know there were there were deals made to for, for, hush for, hush. for I mean, there still are to a degree, but I I think what the most amazing phenomenon that I've noticed is that reality television has created all of these stars, and TikTok even worse. I mean, has, like, uh, yeah, SNL did a great sketch about TikTok influencers, yeah, uh, being called to the White House. But it's like, I mean, people who actually do this stuff for a living sit back and go, what the fuck? Yeah, I know. No, I mean, I know. The, the empire of Kardashian, yeah. which is out there in the West Valley, I mean, full of people who don't do anything. Right. I mean, they don't really do, they don't do any of the traditional theatrical activities. They, they are, they are. They're spokespeople. They pose. They sell perfume. I mean, they do all this stuff. Their life seems to be their art. It's performance art. Absolutely. And it's, it's a realm of, of, away from people who are actually creating content, which is yeah. more than content. Right. Uh, we have a surprise for you. We have a, oh, a friend and a guest uh, uh -oh. coming on. She's been on the show before. Uh, let's uh, bring her out. Happy Purim, everyone. Oh, my God. Hello. Groovy Shelley. Hello, Groovy Bruce. Oh, your lighting is so much better. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm hiding in this room because Louis C.K. came by. <laughs> well, exactly. You know, he never tricked off in front of me, and I'm available. You know, <laughs> you know I would like to say... Where's my parade? I, I just want to go on record. Anybody who jerks off in front of me, I'm going to do it for them. And for what I need to do that, we'll wipe out the cable in the tri-state area. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so you don't you don't want to get started there at all. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> oh, God, that is hilarious. I, I, I found that you guys were best friends and really close. Oh, yeah. So she had been we on we actually, we wrote a pilot. Uh, and nobody wants. And it's so funny. Want. We wrote a pilot about a guy uh, who, a, a gay guy who inherits a bar, and uh, it's the only uh, money-making night is drag bingo, and so uh, he has to make that a, a nightly thing, and and that unleashes him into the world of drag queens. This is right. for RuPaul. Don't you want to see the show? I do absolutely. One wants and, to be in this show, and and we all, you know, we were so close, but. Uh, but since then, my point is, since then, not a day goes by that we don't send each other a name of a new drag queen that we've come up. We, you we know, have racial come profiling. Up. Yes. <laughs> Delta variant. You know, we have. Send some me a What? Yeah. The day the day begins and just puss and boots. Just, yes. See, now I got a, I got a question for both of you now because you're both great joke writers. Do you guys appreciate natural joke tellers, people who have a, a an affinity for oh, like yeah. free jokes and stuff, like like a Max Alexander? Jokes that aren't jokes yeah. are funnier than jokes. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. true. That's a great that's way to put it. Max was hilarious. Yes. Oh, he was hilarious. 
Hilarious. He was. He opened for Anne Margaret, who I was writing for. Oh my God. And, and uh, for her crowd, which was, you know, the quintessential all American crowd. I mean, right. uh, at Vegas, you know, and all that. And he, right. was, he was perfect. He was hilarious. Of course, he was yes. a funny guy. That's yes. the first thing people say, well, what do I need to do to get the, to be a dentist? I said, be funny. I mean, you look at Max Alexander <laughs> and you began sort of smiling because you knew whatever he did was going to make you laugh. Yeah. And he did it for everybody. As I said to B. Arthur, you don't need any dialogue. You don't need lines. Right. Because somebody just says, the sky is blue. And B goes. (laughs) It's a three-minute laugh. Right. Just off of her look. Like, you know, you know what she's thinking. And eventually she will say something. But uh, it doesn't matter. Yeah. (laughs) You laugh anyway. She's funny. And Max, you know, it's great. It's like Max's cadence was really funny, too. I remember some uh, uh, friend Joe Starr sent me his first Tonight Show, and I got to watch it. And it was fucking hilarious. And it is just yeah, his yeah. cadence and his way of speaking and stuff, too. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Does it... Go ahead. Sorry, sir. Nothing. I was belching. Oh. <laughs> it was in honor of Max. Was that a microaggression? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was not an impression, but you could turn it into one. <laughs> I was like, I literally thought I interrupted you. I was like, oh no, he's going to say no, something. It's been impressive. It's like Rebel Wilson a year ago before she lost the weight. That... <laughs> <laughs> I can't do her anymore because she's too thin and pretty. Oh my God. How did you guys wind up meeting? Wow. Gee, I don't know. How did that happen? No, I think it was Dear Sweet May He Rest Wherever He Is, Aaron Gold. Oh, it could have been Aaron Gold. Tri- yeah. tribute. When I was coming out to LA, uh, there was a man in Chicago named Aaron Gold who was sort of uh, the columnist. He was every like Winchell. Every yeah, yeah, he was the Chicago was Walter Winchell. Winchell. And he was very dear to me. And I was also writing at the Chicago Tribune at the time. And uh, he said, there's this man in L.A. I want you to meet. I want you two to be friends. And I remember I came out and I saw you at the Gardenia. And it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. <laughs> time I'd ever been there. And then I remember you talked about Max opening for Anne Margaret. I once, at uh, uh, at a at an AIDS benefit, um, I had the honor of opening up for you. And how many women get to say that? <laughs> Me? I could actually name them, but I wouldn't dare. As long as I'm on the list. That's there are all. so few. <laughs> I could lose a few fingers and name them. <laughs> that's where you know, no, maybe no. that's where I lost the fingers. I, I just started and I stopped. Oh. <laughs> oh, oh my god, I can't. Oh, that's so good. What when you were writing for Anne Margaret, was that like you know, I mean, that had to be incredible she, too. But she didn't she was, speak much, I mean, uh, because she was dancing a lot and right. you know, out of breath, but uh, it was uh, more, it was writing the actual stuff that she said. She had a couple of spots on the show where she had to be funny, and mm-hmm. it all had to be the kind of stuff that you know was about her that mm-hmm. she could make jokes about. And um, and then it was a uh, with her husband Roger Smith was very conceptual, and and we put the shows together, yeah, uh, with the choreographer uh, to to do whatever whatever insane ideas we were planning on you know on on doing. And there was always motorcycles and things like that, you know. Are you good when at kind of letting it go? Okay. Just so when when you wrote for for Ms. Ann Margaret, would it be something that just fit in the moment that you created, or would it be based on something from her actual life or career? Uh, well, uh, it was uh, a couple of things like that. I mean, partially it was her her uh, her life. We had a story about her and George Burns, who had discovered her, 
Uh, and it was always a joke about, uh, uh, which was actually was a true story where George said uh, he, he didn't like her costume. He wanted her to wear something low cut. He said, people love your voice, but they want to see where it's coming from. <laughs> and she would oh, tell that God. story, you know, as like a blushing virgin. And then uh, Roger bought her this incredible ring that she, and she had lasers in the act. So she could have the lasers hit the ring and do may the force be with you and all that. And it was, I mean, you know, that kind of stuff. And yeah, but I mean, we didn't, we didn't talk too much about, uh, I mean, it was about her. I mean, it was about the idea of like Anne Margaret, you know, about this, this being so glamorous and uh, not being able to do housework or anything like that. Right. <laughs> trying to remember right. now. Are you pretty good at like letting it go when like you write a line and you've got a way you think it should be said in your head and then it gets to the stage from an actor or something like that and they don't say it that way or are you backstage like fucking goddamn like well I, I mean hopefully we've run it before you know so right. they know exactly how they should say it and, okay uh, you know and sometimes they they have their own spin on it which makes it even better so right uh, you never you never quite know but you don't they don't go out there you. You don't make sure they don't go out there without first knowing exactly how it should be. Yeah, well, it's it's weird because I feel like I know a couple of people who write, um, who written like for Saturday Night Live and stuff like that too, and they'll have like problems with like bigger actors who'll be like, I don't want to oh, yeah. say it this way. And there's like this constant thing between the writers being like, if you say it this way, it's sure to get right. a laugh. And they're like, no, 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 not gonna happen. Did you ever have any trouble with that? Yeah, I've had. Uh, yeah, I have, especially with the. Uh... Well, actors who aren't necessarily comedians, but who are just actors. Name names. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, no, I wow. the, the worst to that is is when you write something for someone and you know you know how it should be, and they absolutely either ref, you know, just refuse to do it that way, and you hear how they want to do it, and you know it's not going to work. They go out, it doesn't work, and then the line that every writer loves to hear: "Well, I didn't write that." Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, there's a there's a famous joke among writers about an industrialist who always wanted to act and he wanted to play Hamlet, and he gets rich and rich and rich, and so he buys a theater and he mounts a production of Hamlet, and he's in it, and all of New York comes to see him, and he's on stage and and he stinks. He's just mm -hmm. terrible, and the audience gets restless and they begin talking and they begin. Now they're throwing things and they're getting out and there's all kinds of horses. And he, in the middle of it all, he just storms down the stage. Well, I didn't write this shit. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I would, I would love to be like in a, in an Oscars writing room situation where you guys are just talking shit about celebrities. Cause that's got, that should be the show. It should be, well, but it would be, everybody would be canceled immediately. But, but, but may I say, I, I think there are three wonderful Oscar hosts chosen this year. But when, when they're like, who can do it? Who can do it? Who can do it? The man in the red T-shirt. Yeah. Well, that. but, you know, I'm not big enough. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, it has served so many masters, if I can say that without being canceled. I mean, they, they have the network to deal with. They have sponsors to deal with. They have the academy to deal with. They have the world at large to deal with. So, uh, it's, you know, and, and, and now there are so many uh, other strictures. I mean, they, they have to be diversity hires or you're, or, or you're racist. Right. So it's, uh, it's crazy. I mean, it's, uh, I, don't, I don't check enough of those boxes by any stretch. And then, of course, the people who you really want to do it, and this is, uh, you know, I, 
I don't know Regina Hall, but the other two are friends of mine. Mm -hmm. um, people who really want to do it generally don't want to do it. Nobody wants to host that show. I yeah, mean, it's uh, because if you if you do well, they'll go at a boy. But if you if you don't do well, it will live with you forever. Right. So um, so people you know people are advised not to to step on their own cocks and you know to just kind of back away from it. Right. And, uh, uh, and so that's why a lot of people don't do it. But uh, I think the way it was presented to those three women, it was kind of like, well, you know, it's, you're sharing, you're sharing the burden. Yeah. Right? You guys have each other at the end of the night. Right. It's like yeah. three people at, at the at the helm of the Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> they did the 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 one that was the most disastrous. I think was when James Franco and uh, what's her name. Anne that Hathaway. was Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway. That was the most awkward thing I've ever well, seen. Well, it was terribly, it was terribly produced. I was writing on it. It was, it was, uh, it was a mess. It was a yeah. bad idea to begin with. Part of the academy and the network's desire to to pull in the youth audience, the younger demo. Right. And so they went to people who, I mean, who had no business doing it. I mean, they, but that was part. I mean, I think the people who they wanted all said no, and they had they went to people who were unlikely candidate yeah. job. And paired them together, thinking that'll fix it. Yeah, exactly. Well, they were like two beautiful people hosting for over an hour, telling jokes. What can go wrong? Like, well, they're beautiful for one thing. <laughs> like, well, they had they had no chemistry. I mean, James is all over the place, and yeah. Anne's, Anne's a precision instrument. And, uh, uh, and she was, was he altered in any way? Not, I don't think. I mean, he says he wasn't, and I don't. I kept saying, "Give me what you're smoking." I'm not smoking anything. So I, I don't think I think he was just kind of nervous about it, and uh, um, there was a lot of of conflama before the show. Uh, he went to Judd Apatow and asked him to write it, and Judd brought in four of his intern writers. Mm. I've never heard of any of them since. Wow! And they wrote this material, much of which was shit canned for the weekend before we got into the theater. And oh, Don sure. Mack and I had to come and reduce to redo about a lot of stuff. So. Wow. Um, uh, and that was part of the problem is that he didn't, you know, trust the material. I mean, we got along, but he didn't, uh, he didn't trust the situation he was in and he yeah, was nominated yeah. and he knew he was going to lose. So that was like, you know, that, <laughs> he said, that's why he did it. He said he could, he said, rather than sit there for three hours and watch Colin Firth win, he would, he thought, oh, I'll post the show. <laughs> that's a win-win. Um, yeah. You know what? The other one I remember, and I, I had to watch this because I, I wasn't, I don't know, I don't think I was around or I was watching the Oscars back then. But the Letterman one, I didn't understand why that one got shit canned so badly. Like everyone says it's the worst one. I watched it later on and I thought it was funny. Uh, I, I think that uh, the press didn't like, the, the numbers were terrific. The ratings were great. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's not just so much because of Dave, but it was because it was Forrest Gump and uh, Pulp Fiction were the two big contenders that year. Right. So they were, those were $100 million movies. Those are movies people had seen and yeah. they were interested in. And um, uh, the audience in the, in the theater was cold to him. And he made um, the mistake. Uh, Johnny Carson said to him later on, um, you know, I didn't do Karnak on the Oscars. Mm. Uh, uh, and it was because, you know, don't bring your elements from your show. This is not your show. This right. is their show. And if you can't adapt, don't do it. And Dave, Dave didn't adapt. He right. wanted to do elements of the show, but there were many more that peeled away in the days before the show started. And you know, he's he's 
clinically miserable, you know, when he's when he's uh, working. So yeah, <laughs> I mean, we're backstage, and I said after about an hour, I said that. I said, how do you feel? He said, like I'm in a hostage situation. (laughs) (laughs) One of of our guests uh, said, he reminds me of a happy Mel Brooks. I don't know how you you, you take that, but. Well, my younger Mel Brooks, for Christ's sake. (laughs) I think Mel's usually pretty happy. Mel not happy? I I, I was going to say. I just started reading the book. I don't know. So I don't know. Me too. I don't know yeah. if, if this guy knows something that we don't know about. I don't him. know. Yeah, it's good so far. The book. He doesn't seem like an unhappy guy. Always seemed cheery yeah. to me. I heard Mel was brilliant at Laddie's funeral. At whose funeral? Oh, Laddie's funeral. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, what can <laughs> I say? I that's I was another not thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's another thing too. That's so weird though. I love how hilarious you'll hear from comedians and comedians only how funny somebody was at somebody else's funeral. Well, funerals here are open mic nights. It's very strong. <laughs> yeah. But people come up. I mean, I mean I've literally seen people, uh, and they invariably now are sort of 90-year-old Jews, and they you know, hobble up to a microphone. It's like, you know, uh, Fred loved me so much. He loved me so much. And he always thought that this bit that I did 14 <laughs> times on Carson was the best <laughs> thing I ever did. So, Fred... Yeah. This is for you. And then they do yeah. <laughs> You know. Exactly right. And oh, just that's amazing. what they do. That's yeah. what they do. Oh, and the impressionists are going, you know, I had a dream. It was yeah. me, this mm-hmm. dead guy, and yeah. Jack Nicholson in a bar. This exactly. is how it went. And we were all talking about the dead man, you know. Yeah, yeah. So it's just there might be somebody there who can hire them. So it's the best mm-hmm. room they've had in a while. Yeah, know? absolutely. <laughs> I gotta, I'm still stuck on the fact that you guys can't get your pilot sold. Like, what does it take? You guys are so both so ridiculously successful. It really it, it puts a damper on my hopes of getting anything done. <laughs> oh, we, we'd have to partner with uh, with RuPaul to get that one sold now. Yeah, Ru, are you there? Because she is, she is the king and queen of drag. Yes. Yeah, she really does. You know her, right? Me? Yeah. RuPaul. Oh, from the beginning. Yeah, right. I've been writing. I wrote I wrote RuPaul's Vegas act. Oh my God, twenty five years ago. Whenever whenever he had a talk show on VH1, and he got a deal with the Sahara, and we put an act yeah. together. Yeah. And his producers, Fretton and Randy, are great friends of mine. So, but I, it never occurred to us. We had did we have somebody else we were going to? I can't remember. I can't. Or did we go to them? Maybe this is before like they had a drag yeah, empire. Like like a phoenix, it will rise again. We're getting. I hope so. Because it was it was some time ago. We are we are funny, you know. <laughs> it happened between runs of Will and Grace. Oh well, there you go. See, it needs something else like that in there. You know what? Actually, we have a guest that's coming on. Let's bring out RuPaul. No, I'm just kidding. That'd be hilarious. <laughs> yeah, no, no. <laughs> Listen, I, I feel bad. I want to thank you so much for coming on, man. It, it has been an My absolute pleasure. blast. It's fun. Yeah. The most fun um, I've had on the podcast in so long. Oh. I had Shelly the Goldstein with me. Yeah. <laughs> and thank you for coming on too as well, Shelly. I don't, I've, thank we had a blast so. together. Um, <laughs> it was fun. Yeah. And so I got to ask you the big three questions that we ask every guest that comes on. And Shelly, we have one extra one that we didn't get to ask last time. So I want to get your take on this too. Oh, yeah. First one is if you go back in time and talk to your younger self, what piece of advice would you give yourself to help you today? Oh, sleep around, sleep around, <laughs> sleep with more people. <laughs> give in. <laughs> Give Don't in. be choosy. Oh, that's great. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Good advice. Solid. 
Um, second question is what had to end in your life, good or bad, that led you to where you are today? What had to end? Yeah, good or in bad. In my life? Uh, that's a very good question. Uh, I think what had to end was, uh, um, uh, I, I think it was me being angry. Uh, and uh, that ended because when AIDS came in and I lost so many people. Mm. And it, it was like, it didn't make any sense to be angry anymore because uh, life is short. And you must uh, seize what you've got when you when it's there. Yeah. And uh, and uh, I began smiling again. <laughs> nice. So that's what had to end. Yeah. How did you manage to get? I mean, was it a process getting hold of the anger? Like, did it? Did it? Was it a sudden realization? Like, what did? What steps did you end up taking? Um, no, I was in therapy for a while, okay. and that was good until I got mad at her, and I just <laughs> <laughs> that'll do it. Yeah. Um, and the and the last question is, uh, uh, if this was a genuine dystopia, and there was alien <laughs> zombies, yeah, yeah, whole real, real, real dystopia, not what we got going on now. Zombies, the whole thing, right? A comet heading toward Earth. Everybody's it's everybody's last day. How uh, does Bruce Valanche go out? What is your epic death? Oh my God! Well, I think I'd be like the producer of Ouch My Balls, on. Uh... <laughs> That Mike, that Mike Judge uh, in his movie about dystopia. <laughs> I'd probably I'd be auditioning to the very end. <laughs> and you take it. <laughs> I love it. Oh, uh, that's great. Probably. And that's that's the other question. That's for you too, because I didn't get to ask you that last time, Shelley. What would be your epic death? How would you want to go out? My epic death. We we are guaranteed that the world is ending. Yeah, you're all going at the, We're all going on the same day, same so time. So, okay. So since I don't have to worry about my weight, or my, or my weight shoe, one way or another, my mouth would be very busy. Oh, it's oh, a good one. <laughs> you know what I love about that is that the whole point of doing that is we have an artist that draws the cover of everybody's episode. And that's what she has to draw now is both of you. <laughs> so. I love, I love the, uh, the end of don't look up. Have you seen Don't Look Up? I love, I love Don't Look Up. I love that she's the president of the United States, and the last thing we see of her is her tramp stamp <laughs> before the dinosaur eats her. Yeah. But it, wasn't it great seeing a movie where dignity was brought back to the White House? Yes. <laughs> you know, Got my just, vote. It was, like the, it was like the old days. Uh -huh. Yeah. It's well, like Truman right all over again, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's fucking hilarious. Uh, you guys are amazing. Don't Look Up was a crazy good Thank movie. You. Um, but yeah, you guys are so good. Thanks so much, Bruce, for coming on. I really do appreciate Wonderful. it. I uh, loved getting to meet you and talk. I'll with see you. you in Beach Havens, the sheriff's substation. Yes. Oh my God, yes. please. Yes. Come down. <laughs> I used to go there. Oh my God. A uh, friend who, uh, who lived there and who was, who was, uh, he was a paramedic. Yeah. And he used to like, uh, he used to drag out the surfers and try and give them more CPR than it was absolutely necessary. <laughs> <laughs> He was like, no, trust me, you're drowning. <laughs> In my love. Yeah. One more minute of this and I'll be done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that's great. Well, seriously, thank you guys both so much. I appreciate you coming yes. out. Thank All you. Right. Night. It's a pleasure. <laughs>